My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Dr. Earl Goldman. Earl is a licensed clinical psychologist, a psychotherapist, and he has been teaching students at Lesley University and Cambridge College for 50 years. We had a fun moment where he was like, isn't that weird? (laughs) 50 years! It's really, really, really cool to be with Earl. And as you'll hear, he's wonderfully vibrant, playful, creative. And he brings to his work and to this conversation, this gift of presence, this gift of being curious with what's arising in the moment in a way that uh, allows all of us, and that's the lesson he's bringing and embodying, the ability to be curious in the moment in the way that allows all of us to see new possibilities in our lives and in the world's. Um, He teaches wide-ranging courses on psychopathology, theories of counseling, human development, uh, clinical skills, the art and practice of being a a mental health provider. But what was really fun today was to hear him start to unpack his, his own emerging theory about what's actually happening in psychotherapy, what's actually happening in that relationship between the person who's seeking healing and the person who's offering healing. And how much really exists not in one or the other, but rather in the relationship between the two. He also touches into the ancient lineage that's embodied by uh, healing practitioners like psychotherapists that extends deep into human history. So this is a wide ranging, playful, expansive, oceanic conversation. And that reference to the ocean will make sense if you listen all all the way to the end. It exists with the possibility that we are all connected, that we are all making waves in each other's lives. And the more that we can lean into that and swim into that, the more that we can learn from that and grow from that and get curious about that, as opposed to trying to control it or manage it or repress it or hide from it, the more we open up to a world of possibility that is diverse and beautiful and allows for the widest range of human joy that is available to us. So let's get settled in (sighs) and hear what the irrepressible Earl Goldman has for us. Hi, Earl. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. Hi there, Andy. Good to be here. It's so good to have you here. Um, Silka, if you're listening in, thank you for making this connection to Earl. Um, Earl, it's been really a pleasure to have the conversations we've already had before pressing record and, and, uh, I feel really full with possibility just having spent 
now at this point a sum total of about maybe 45 minutes with you. <laughs> and so like, who knows yeah. where we're going to end up? Who knows where we're going to end up? Yeah. And I can imagine, I mean, I really can, I guess I just want to say, uh, I can, it became very clear to me very quickly why Silka thought of you when I put out a call to say, I want to bring more wisdom keepers and practitioners on the show who've been doing their work and engaging with these questions for, for some time, you know, and she wrote back right away, you got to talk to Earl. (laughs) So I'm so glad that, that she did that. And I'm so glad you said that you said yes, because I've just, in the short time we've had together, I experienced you as someone who's really committed to, uh, to human beings and to, and to people flourishing and growing. And yeah, it's just beautiful. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I don't know if I think of myself that way. Oh, interesting. How do you, how do you think of yourself? For instance, people will come to me. So I teach, I've taught for about 30, more than 30 years at Leslie college. I've been teaching for basically 50 years. So I got my, degree in psychology in 1971 from Rutgers, right? And the reason I ended up in psychology was it was too late to take the law boards and it was either going to grad school or Vietnam. Mm. So Mm. the situation was very clear for me. I wasn't (laughs) going to do too well in Vietnam knowing myself. Mm. Um, But once I got into psychology, I felt like it was me. Mm. because I like pondering the big questions of who are we and what do I want to spend my time doing and how do I want to spend helping other people thinking about that? Mm, mm. So, and what do you, what do you like about this? What, like you said, it felt like you what's tell me more about that moment when you felt that sense of like, Oh, this is a space for me. I'll tell you where I think it comes from. And don't ever tell my family this, though I would say that to them. (laughs) People say to me sometimes, you know, you're so opening, you're so open, I feel like I can tell you anything. Or things just, you know, happen and you allow it to happen. And I say, yeah, I grew up in a family in which everybody was judgmental. And I decided early on (laughs) as a kid that I didn't want to live a life that way. It just Mm. wasn't fun. Mm. It really wasn't fun. And I also was a very anxious kid. Mm. I mean, just the opposite of now people think of me as the mayor of the beach or I can talk to anybody, any place, right? Or we can talk, right? Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Well, underneath that, kind of in the um, dungeons of my (laughs) experience, I was terrified. Mm. I was very anxious as a kid and had a mother who oh, I knew she loved me, was out there and Mm. pushing me. Mm. And it was Mm. learning how to live with that structure, learning how to be, stay connected and yet be on my own path. But I think I learned something very intimate, Mm. very important, and very allowing me to be with people on their own paths. Mm. Mm. fascinated it and play with it Mm. Mm. wow Earl when we were um, when we first spoke in our first conversation um, uh, it's being evoked for me now as you describe that capacity to sort of be intimate and with someone else on their path you talked about uh, we talked about love 
and how that's become a bit of a taboo world in uh, in, in a number of circles in psychology. Um, and I, and I wonder if, and yeah. 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 So maybe you could just say more, like, it's, I think that's why when I said at the top, I encounter you as someone who's really committed to other people. It's like this sense that you can be with and hold space with and, and maybe even provoke people to think and feel differently, even as they walk their path. Like I just sense that you're able to be with a lot and do it from a place of love. I think so too. Uh, It's funny because back um, 30 years ago when I was teaching um, the introductory course at Leslie, where we took people to other places and we talked to people about who are you as a counselor, which is Mm -hmm. one that I always ask my students. So when we start, when I start teaching theories, I say it's really not about who Freud was and who Pearls was and who Rogers was and who now Dick Schwartz is, um, Esther Carroll is, all of these people who are the greats in the field, the leaders in the field. It's about who are you mm-hmm. and what do you believe about the good life What do you believe about what you have to offer people, help them get through their suffering? Then how do you embody that? Mm. And who did you learn it from? Then go to three people who know you well and ask them how they see you around this stuff. Oh, nice. Nice. So what I get to see is who these people are And in my classes, I get to read their papers as to what their worlds are or what their um, planets are. I say it's like you realize after a while that everybody comes from a different planet. (laughs) That you can see the planet in terms of what's now called variety, equity, diversity. Yeah. That living in this diverse world creates a playground where we can be connected from them, get things from them, give things to them, and believe in a world that can flourish. Mm. 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 So what I'm hearing is, you, it sounds like a core part of your teaching is the, the invitation to people to really slow down and reflect on and understand the planet that they're from, the metaphorical planet that they're from, that there's something really important about self-awareness that sits at the core of your teaching. Is that right? Understand the planet that you're from, appreciate the planets that other people come from, Mm, mm, mm. um, and realize that, I mean, most, so often when students come to me at the beginning of their uh, journey in graduate school becoming a counselor, they know they can't be counselors. And I know they can be counselors, mostly. I mean, very few just aren't going to do it. And those who aren't going to do it end up creating new schools of counseling. So, for instance, Albert Ellis got kicked out of psychoanalysis, got kicked out of every institute he ever joined, including his own institute. (laughs) He created a whole movement of the beginning of CBT. Wow. Because he was such a nerd. Because we needed a nerdy therapy. Mm. So appreciate what people can become. Mm. Mm. If you look at the richest people in the world, I used to love reading biographies 
on the average, they um, were bankrupt seven times in getting to that place. Seven times on average. On average, right? Wow. So you realize that life is interesting and that you and I, and you're doing it through this, you are doing it through this podcast, you're doing it with your daughter, can contribute to people's lives in a way that make our lives fuller, richer, and happier. Mm. 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 Why not decide to have that kind of life? Mm. Yeah, why not? You know? <laughs> I mean, I can be critical. I am critical. Two in the morning. I'm worried about the world. I'm worried about climate change. I'm worried about this. Yeah. I'm worrying about what's going to happen to my money before I die. All of this kind of stuff. But then wake up in the morning and smell the roses because there are roses there, too. Mm. 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 You are not only a teacher, but also a practitioner. You you work with people and and I know that one thing, one thing you shared with me before we started recording was this kind of moment where people feel lost, where they feel kind of out to sea, where they look around their life and feel like things are coming apart or it's not clear how they fit together. And I, and I feel like you're speaking that again to that now that we might go, oh, I bankrupt. What a failure I am. What a, this is, what a disaster this was. What a mistake I've made. But it sounds like you're saying like, no, that might be a clue you're in the right place. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Can you say more about that? This like feel sure. this sort of break, this sort of possibilities hiding inside these breakdowns? Two things. Let me just say, knowing that I'm there in the right place. So often what I believe I do as a mentor or therapist is just acknowledge or say to the person, you are a therapist. This is why you're a therapist. You shared this with me in your papers. We've talked about it. This is how you deal with crises. This is how you, you help people go from suffering towards health. Mm -hmm. And it's just telling them that, of how I see it. I'm not going to lie. And I do confront people also with their limitations. Mm -hmm. But to, able to, to be able to see who somebody can be when they cannot see it themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is so important, and therefore to see what the world can be, to see what possibilities there are, and when we can't see that, just to know we're going through those times, and to know, okay, here's one of the big cultural things we, especially as Americans, have to fight for our own health, for our own mental awareness, for our own sanity, we live in a wonderful country in many ways that is open to possibilities and what you can become in a way that has really never existed in terms of varieties of people creating a mm. new country. Of mm. course, there are horrible things we did to the Native Americans getting here, mm. but it also allowed us to foster a country where everybody came from different places and could become something and could become successful in this way. Um, and yet, what we say is, I read all over, here are the nine ways to become happy. Here are the three ways to become perfect. Here are the seven ways to become yeah. rich. Yeah. And what you feel like is you're a loser. Yeah. Because you feel anxious. Yeah. You feel depressed. Yeah. You feel nervous. Yeah. And what if... 
having gone, as I said to you before, from being a kid who was very, very anxious to a adult or a senior people think of as the mayor of the beach or the person who can talk to anybody or because I am fascinated by people. What if you realize suffering has created a great opportunities for all of us and does. Mm. Mm. And, uh, when you go to American movies, it all has to come out well in the end. <laughs> and you watch European movies and they can become miserable at the end and it's still successful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. You know, so, as you as you share sure. that reminder about the kind of cultural context we live in, which, yeah, it's quite intense. There's there's really I have felt uh, versions of all of those emotions you described, the feeling like I'm not enough, feeling nervous, feeling a sense of inadequacy uh, in earlier days as a younger man, sort of comparing my insides to these sort of very polished almost weaponized outsides, like, look at how perfect that person is over there. Something must be wrong with me. And, uh, and it's almost like this shift that I started to move in. And I sense that you're like, uh, have thought and felt thought and felt deeply about it's a shift from feeling that something is wrong and making that to say that something is wrong with me. Yeah. Right? And like this realization, Oh, wait a minute it's actually kind of wrong that, that that's the kind of media that we like push in each other's faces. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. It just means, yeah, there's something wrong. Right. That that's the standard we're setting for ourselves or that that's the, that that's the Like if we're not a hundred, if we're not rich, beautiful, successful, uh, and well-traveled, then something's wrong with us. Right. Like all of these implicit messages that we're swimming in. Yeah. So just kind of releasing a bit of that, uh, releasing a bit of that story that there's something wrong with me feels really has felt really important to me. And I wonder if that's part of the work that you do or how you see that showing up. Beautiful. What you're saying, because, and it fits in very much to what I think we do and who we are as therapists or who I am, but more than that, I think, okay, let me see if I can describe this to you. I think therapy has existed from the beginning of humanity from beginning. Mm. That as humanity has developed and society has developed, the society is doing what it can to be successful. Like I said about this country, it's wonderful that people have opportunity. It's wonderful that people think they can make lots of money, and some can, and some are limited in some way, shape, or form. So what we serve is a tradition that goes back, as I say, from the beginning of the humanity, has been held by witch doctors, has been held by shamans, has mm. been held by mm. um, the virgins of the temples in Greece, mm. has been held by rabbis, has been held by um, priests. In developing, the society must develop a way of dealing with outliers. Mm. I'll tell you what book has been the inspiration. When my son was in middle school, The Giver by Lois Lowry. Mm. The giver. I haven't read it. No, tell me more. I've heard Everybody of it. Everybody should read it. It is a perfect society is created in which one person is designated to be the giver in terms of remembering all of the tragedies of the society. 
Mm. You don't want to lose the memory of that because otherwise you're going to hit another tragedy. Mm. But you don't want to subject it to anybody in your society so they think they're living the perfect society, even though they're sending their elders out the back door to die. But we wow. don't talk about that. We talk about the good stuff, right? Wow. It makes you think about what goes on in society, right? Yeah. In order, there are two reasons why you need to address the outlying parts not only the outlying people, but the outliers within each side of us. That's mm. the conflict we feel. As mm. Freud said, our life is full of conflict. And what we do is think, oh, that part of me, that's the bad part. I'm not going to think about it, yeah. or I'm going to control it, or I'm going to allow myself to be bad sometimes. Mm. We all have mm. it. And God mm. forbid we should admit that all of us have it. Yeah. Yeah. It interferes with this dream we have, right? Mm. So what we do is create a group of people in society, and every society must do it, to help the outliers become, connect with the mainstream in some ways. That's what therapists do now in our society. I get a license as a psychologist. My students now get licenses, licensed mental health counselors, which say they can diagnose and treat emotional disorders. What they're really doing, from my point of view, is what I believe the therapists do, is you sit with presence with the outlying parts of people. Mm. Mm. The parts that none of us want to sit with, mm. none of us that we call bad. And because we sit with that part that we're at war with, mm. we develop a truce, possibilities, and ultimately, we turn the anger, the fight, into possibilities, into positive energy. Wow. It goes for us rather than against us. Mm. I love that, Earl. Yeah, sorry. Keep going, please. Can I just say two more things? Yeah, please. This is okay. really exciting for me. The reason why society needs this is for two reasons. One it doesn't want to have outliers. It wants to have people connecting because they contribute as citizens to society. Yeah. But more than that, what they have to contribute is so important for the society to develop. Yeah. So for so instance, what we're dealing that. with racism now is we're looking at what it's like to be a person of color. And rather than just feeling the guilt or the privilege, it's like, show me what you're going through so that I can feel the empathy, so we can create a society that's gonna be better for all of us. Mm, mm, mm. So it contributes to the society itself. And at the end of the giver, the giver decides to tell all of these secrets to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Got that? Yeah. So what I'm doing is sitting with my own struggles, which especially come up at two in the morning, yeah. to three in the morning, sitting with other people's struggles, but seeing them as important, productive, possible centers of energy that can be serving the higher power that mm. we want to be. Mm. 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 I feel particularly connected to the second of those two reasons. And, and I'll just name, I have a bit of a bias in me around conformity. Although I know also I'm aware that some people would look at me and be like, oh, you're such a conformist, right? So there's this spectrum of like how we relate to society. 
And I bias towards people who are, you know, there's a sort of, there's a sort of narrative of the kind of heroic revolutionary who like pushes society to change. But what I hear you speaking to, which is much more subtle and much more beautiful is this really unique and important role that's actually been played by humans for since, since time immemorial that's about meeting the parts of ourselves and the parts of our collectives that we would otherwise try and ignore or scapegoat or push away uh, so that we can keep pretending everything's great. And, and, and so it's not only about, about giving up the pretense and recognizing and owning that it's not all great, but actually that it could even be greater when we do that, 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 that paradox of like, opening your hand to be blown away by what, what, what it fills up in it. This sort of realization that the outliers have something to teach all of us at the same time as we welcome them, them in, they're actually welcoming us in to something greater. Like it's a, that sort of two way street that I think is really exciting for me that you're tapping into. And it's a process. It's a process that starts with hatred. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to get away with just saying, oh, I'm going to love everybody. No, you're going to get you're going to start with, oh, I can't stand this person. Let's go to the other side of the street or I don't want to invite this one here or whatever. And slowly you open up to, well, maybe, you know, if I feel safe enough or I'll create something here or I'll confront too and see what happens here. That's what's developed. Over so that provocation right there, I love how you stated that it's a process that begins with hatred. Yes. Boy, all of the all of the kind of like inclusive, touchy feely parts of me are like, whoa, that's scary, yeah. Earl. Right, right. But like, but if I'm really honest and clear with myself, and and I, and I hear you sort of saying this to anyone who's listening, if you re- if we're really honest and clear with ourselves, noticing where you feel resistance or repulsion or hatred or 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 turning away is actually the place to turn towards. That's actually the sign that there's some, some learning or growth to happen. Is that, is that right? Is that how yeah, you I kind of want to support going from hatred to curiosity. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, why do I feel this way about this person? Or what's yeah. going on here? Um, and let yeah, me what's that telling about me actually, or what's that telling about us as opposed to just assuming it's the other person who's the problem. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Mm, mm. that's like a super that feels like a super move to me <laughs> it feels like a superhero like i feel like i look out around our world and and uh that's 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 hard for us to do as people very hard you know who's yeah. taught me more than anything my kids mm. and now grandchildren and you can see this mm. Mm. there are things that when when i when i had young kids and people who had older kids would tell me they would be critical of their kids in some way, shape, or form, which happens when your kids get older, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> never. My kids will never be critical of me. <laughs> right? It was like, what do you mean? We love them totally. But how do you also be able to confront and hold accountable people mm. while at the same time loving them, but not loving everything that they do or are? Or even believe in its the importance of fighting against mm. certain things, mm. um, the, the demonization of the other, um, but also things you believe in. So it's messy. That's what I want to say. Yeah. Life is messy. Life yeah. is complex. Life is. Mm, 
<laughs> mm, yes, that's that's like that's a wonderful sound to encapsulate life. Life is mm. yeah, but you know we're so so that's that even that is so. There's this this move from fear to curiosity. There's yeah. this this move from um, kind of um, sort of acceptance towards, towards actual kind of push, you know, it's like, I, I, I actually do see some ways that we could grow. I'm not just going to accept it. I, I accept you and, and I welcome you and I accept myself and I welcome myself, but I'm also not going to just accept the status quo that there's possibility for us to grow and to change. And, uh, and then, so someone says, okay, Earl, okay, okay, fine. Just tell me how to do it. You've been doing this for 50 years. You've been teaching for just, can you just tell me what steps to take? And you go, (laughs) you know, like, tell me more about that space of the, I don't know. This feels like we're actually at the heart of something here. That's like better for you. I'll send you to the perfect um, session. Have you ever seen Carl Rogers and Gloria? No, I haven't. You know anything about the Gloria tapes? No, I don't. This is no. what everybody should go to because it's on YouTube. It's available okay. there. Okay. In 19, I think, 64, um, this guy ever chose from who was a bioenergetics therapist decides to do something very interesting. He takes one of his clients, so he doesn't say this, and says, would you be willing to volunteer to meet with the three most famous therapists of the day, one after the other at this conference, they're going to be at this conference, and we'll tape these sessions because people should really see what goes on in a therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> so Gloria um, this agrees to meet first with um, Carl Rogers, the founder of what clients sent through therapy, and probably the most mentoring therapist of even our days. He still has a powerful effect. He's not alive, but his approach was just so amazing. Fritz Perls, who was the bad boy of psychotherapy, the confronter, the I'm going to be nasty and tell it like it is. And Albert Ellis, who was the nerd, um, (laughs) who developed cognitive behavior (laughs) therapy. And in one morning, she goes from one to the next to the next, and they become the most famous sessions in the history of psychotherapy. Wow. And especially the one with Carl Rogers. And she asks him just what you're asking me in this role play, right? Mm. She says, my daughter is seven years old, and I'm always straight with her. But she asked me if I ever went to bed with a man after I divorced her father. Mm. And I have but I'm ashamed of doing it. Dr. Rogers, tell me what to do. And he responds by saying, you're not really clear about who you want to be and how you want to do it. And she says, yeah, so tell me, please. You're the expert and everything like that. And Rogers continues over time to evade her questions, but then confronts it and says something like, I can't possibly tell you what to do. I may know what I wanted would do, but I'm here to support you in figuring out who you want to be mm-hmm. and what you want to do. And if I answer you, I'm just going to take that away from you. And I do not believe in doing that. Mm-hmm. And in that session, you got to see it. Yeah, we'll share it. And we'll share a link to it in the show notes okay. so people can yeah. watch it. Yeah, definitely. 
um, she develops over that session to a place where at the end she says, I wish you were my father. And he says in unbelievable Rogerian ways, I think you'd make a really great daughter. (laughs) Talk about love. Even in those days, that was kind of on the edge. But Rogers believed in love. He believed that you couldn't share that connection and appreciate your clients. Um, You have to do it with boundaries, and it only can be because you have boundaries that allows this laboratory to happen Mm. in which I can sit with a person once a week, once a month or whatever. And because I have that perspective, because I have that distance, I can offer them something that I couldn't do if I, if they were my sister or brother Mm. or family member or even friend. Mm. Mm. So the structure that, that, creates a laboratory that allows things to happen and change to happen and suffering to be helped. Wow. I'm really excited to watch that video and thank you for sharing that story. It speaks, it speaks to this paradox that I think we're playing with around our ability to be both really curious and intimate with other people and understand them while also allowing, like not telling them, not saying, okay, well, now I know you, here's what you should do. Exactly. We have some humility. Humility used to be like a good thing. Now, (laughs) the other thing about our culture, who's the person who wins? The one who's going to be, I'll go for it, no matter what. I don't care who I screw, you know? Don't know. And that's okay. Mm. That you said is a mystery. And often I don't know where I'm going to. Mm. Mm. But I, mm. I can allow it to play out. And by giving that space, we hold space for people, I believe, as good therapists. We create presence in terms of, yes, I'm here listening to you and seeing you and knowing that that in itself will allow something to happen that changes. Mm. Mm. I'll share with you one more thing. I hate to talk so much because I want to hear from you more, but... <laughs> Well, you're the guest, so I want you to talk a lot. So that's good. That's good. Okay, yeah, this is what I for you, right? Yeah, you Zilka helped me with this. So Zilka and her friend Ji Hung, who were students of mine, um, liked the way I was teaching. And then they both became TAs of mine, teaching assistants. And I said, you know what I'd like to do? Let's meet once a month and we'll talk. And we'll put it into a podcast, not a podcast, an article kind of thing. And they helped me put it together. So one piece of it, um, you can't see this, but right outside uh, my window here is my vegetable garden. Nice. I love to grow tomatoes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But my job is not to teach the tomato how to become a good tomato. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a job. It knows. It has all of the genetics. It has all of the understanding of how to be a good tomato. Mm-hmm. My job is to make sure it gets the right sunshine, the right water, mm-hmm. the right earth to grow in. So my job is as a therapist to provide, and Rogers talks about it in these terms, I create the the circumstances that will allow the person to flourish, to flower, Mm -hmm. to bud. Mm -hmm. I create, and it's different for each person, by the way. I find myself with different clients. I'm even breathing differently. My voice is different. For some, it's more... What are you doing? There's a red flag here. 
and we better look at it, don't you think? Mm. And for others, it's just sitting back and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That attunement, um, Daniel Siegel talks a lot about attunement. Yeah. And a lot is the creation of the garden that will allow the tomato to grow to the best tomato it can be so I can eat it. <laughs> Hopefully you're not eating your clients when, uh, after the, they've, <laughs> they've come to fulfillment. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll I get the benefit that in a minute. Remind me to that. <laughs> um, you know, I love the metaphor, and it and it strikes me that as a teacher of and mentor of other gardeners, to kind of stick with the metaphor, that those that the garden like there's there's sort of another paradox here is that the gardeners are also tomatoes. Right. Yep. Like there's a way in which you, you, Earl, who is who have now been gardening for decades. Beautiful. Beautiful. Also had to be gardened, also had yep. to be. And I just wonder, like, you got it. So, so tell me how you hold that. How do, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I had knowing you see that woman back there, my grandmother. Yeah. yeah. When I'm sitting with my clients and feeling this connection or even sitting here with you and feeling the connection and the flow, I realized I learned it from her. Mm. She played with me. I was born six months after her husband died. Mm. I was named after him. Um, And when she would look at me, I would feel seen. Mm. When she would smile at me, I would feel loved. We learn it, we all learn it from our ancestors. We all learn it from people who have taught it to us and then we decide to pay it forward. So we are part of this. You know, for years I would poo-poo when I would go to the cemetery and see the gravestone that said, I know, um, what is it? If you live in the hearts and memories of those you left behind, you are not dead. And I'm thinking, mm. still dead, don't worry, they're still dead. <laughs> yeah. But I've come to believe it in a different way now that I've gotten to this stage of my life. And now each time I teach theories and I've just started teaching theories, I have to ask myself, what's my theory of helping others through their suffering? What's my theory of psychotherapy today? Mm. And Mm. it's been in the past loving people, creating space for people, confronting people, teaching people. But as of this semester, I've come to a kind of deeper level of it. I want to become part of my clients, Mm. meaning that I really want to enter their very being in a caring and compassionate way that will allow my appreciation of their suffering for them to take on that same appreciation of their own suffering so Mm. that they can change. Mm. As one of my clients said to me about 10 years ago, you know, I get into the same trouble that I used to get into, Earl. But now I have a little Earl on my shoulder who whispers <laughs> in my ear, are you sure you really want to do that? <laughs> well, as I teach my students and I expose them to these sessions and I expose them to these articles, these are the people who are inside of me mm. Mm. and who have helped me become this person that they seem to appreciate, right? Mm. I assume everybody is like that to everybody, but people tell me it's not exactly true. Hmm. I'm naive. I'm not willing to be naive. <laughs> I think that's but, a beautiful gift to, to keep, stay naive even as, as we grow. 
Yes, but I'm star giving through your podcast, right? Yes. Yeah, this is, in a way, this show is very much in this wonder is another word for kind of just that wonderful naivete of encountering something fresh. Uh, and and the possibilities, right? And the possibilities, yeah. So it just feels so important. But what I'm and what I'm tuning into right now in that space of possibility is what I hear you speaking to is the possibility that whether or not we anyone listening is or isn't a therapist, they are a human being who is seeing and connecting with and touching other human beings. And that right now, as you and I see each other on video, you know, folks listening won't see this, but you and I are seeing each other yep. in a sense. And I can actually see the image of your grandmother behind you, which is really cool. Yep. But right, like there she is right over your shoulder. But in a way, like even if you were, if, even if she was blocked, she would, I would still see her looking out at yep. me because the way that she looked at you infused you, you with the capacity to look at others is what I hear you saying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so we all have the opportunity to spend your life than to do this professionally. I said to my students, what else would I would do? Yeah. I can with people and care about them and love them and challenge them and get paid for it too. It's really? pretty it's pretty pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? No, I feel blessed. I really do feel blessed. And the fact that I don't think it's just in the office. I can do that on the beach and I can do that. And there are also people who, okay, I'm gonna keep it arm's length. I don't have to do it with everybody because nobody can do it with everybody. Of course. Yeah. And there might be people who, as much as we want to be that loving energy for them, we're not the right vessel for it. And they're keeping us at arm's length and to sort of just be okay with that as well. I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So, so you, so you said you've been teaching for something like 50 years now and, and here this semester, Isn't that weird? I mean, I say it and, you know, and I say that I'm 75 years old, but I don't believe it. 28 and I've only been gotten my degree yesterday. So, I mean, we live in these different realities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate you saying that actually, because there's a way in which uh, you don't show up as, as my, as the story of what 75 is in my experience and on my planet when I think of 75, you know, the energy that you're present with in this conversation and others has a youthfulness to it uh, that also I sense is anchored in that willingness to be naive at age 75. There's something about the paradoxical wisdom of knowing you don't know and that 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 can be really beautiful. And I see you embodying that. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I don't know where it comes from. Honestly, the real blessed um but how that's a good question i should do some therapy about that how did i get here how did how did I, get here? <laughs> I still have this because i do feel like i have yeah um well the question i was going to ask i think is sort of related in the sense that um you've had the privilege of seeing i don't know how many mean hundreds and hundreds i don't know maybe even thousands of, of students <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and and you know, I, I don't want I, I don't want it to sort of reduce those thousands into sort of simple patterns, but you know, I see why couldn't you? <laughs> well, in the same way that you sort of said, like Carl Rogers' mentor energy and Fritz Perl's kind of kind of rebel provocateur energy, and and uh, and Ellis, the sort of having the, the the kind of nerdy, like really precise energy, and all of them making a contribution to the field. I guess I just wonder, like. 
you're sitting with this question of what it, what your own personal ther- theory of therapy, you've seen so many students. I'm curious to hear like more about what patterns you're seeing or what possibilities you're seeing for the field, for the sort of collective future of people who care about, about these questions of healing and growth and maturation. I'm so tempted to ask you what you think, but before I do that, since I'm on the podcast, I'll say a couple of great. Thank you. (laughs) I think the future of the field is seen at this point in time today in two directions that are kind of synthesized or are connected with each other in certain ways. First of all, we are seeing a major movement towards, um, I don't know if I'd call it flexibility, diversity, um, openness around races and um, immigrants and stuff like that. Certainly there's a lot of conflict about it and discussion about it, but the field is going in this way of opening itself up again, um, which it always, I think, is committed to coming back to in certain ways. So it is including different people and figuring out how we're going to include them. For me, it's a challenge of a lot of the people I'm teaching, especially over at Cambridge College, are people of color, are new immigrants, or adult learners. Mm. And yet the system, meaning the educational system, is loaded against them, mm. even though they're the p- perfect people to become the therapists of the next mm. generation, because mm. they've mm. had so much suffering dealing with what's going on. And these are the communities we need for people. Mm. And yet we decide that in order to become the therapist, in order to um, get the license, they have to take these tests, Mm. which have to do with English, which have to do with um, articles, which have to do with less about how are you with that person at that time, whether you're speaking Portuguese or Hindi or whatever. And Mm. then on the one hand, we have to figure Mm. that out. That's the challenge of the the field. How do we Mm. open it up more Mm. so we realize that our own criteria that we're creating therapists are loaded and are go against that openness to be accepting of different parts of the population. Mm, mm, mm. The second interesting area that the field of psychology is coming back to, and it was big in the 60s, is psychedelics. Mm. I don't believe in psychedelics as psychedelics, but I really do believe in psychedelics as um, the mind-blowing stuff. Mm. what we're doing here in this discussion right nobody would consider this a linear discussion right but all of it is contributing to the same sculpture we're trying to build yes right yes yes and so um especially the book by uh of course i've forgotten his name um how to change your mind oh yeah michael pollan yeah michael pollan fantastic book and he Mm. talks about Using And there are lots of NIH and NIMH studies now of using psychedelics in psychotherapy. Mm. And the Mm. earliest stuff says um, it only works when you're working both with psychedelics and with psychotherapy. If you just give psychedelics, it's not going to work. As Michael Pollan says, it all depends on who your guide is. Yeah. Yeah. What I say to my students is read this book and instead of psychedelics, say psychotherapy. Mm. means... Our goal as a psychotherapist is to blow people's minds. Mm. Mm. They're stuck Mm. in this trap of all of the jails that we put ourselves in. And we're here to say, why do it? 
or what's going on here? Or what's the mystery here? Or that's interesting what you did with your eyes, or that's what you did with your smile. And all of a sudden, things open up. Uh, I love that. And I hear in your sort of invitation to, to the field to say, we have to think differently about how we, how we cultivate and steward and, and invite a wider diversity of practitioners. I hear in that invitation, a kind of collective willingness to blow the minds of the, of the system to say like, we have to like blow the field, uh, open. blow the field open. Yeah. How, how did, hmm, how did we get here? Oh, that's interesting. Well, what about, you know, like that same capacity for the gardener to be gardened, as it were, <laughs> mm-hmm. to use your tomato metaphor again. And I, that really excites me. It really excites me that, that there's this uh, energy towards not destructive blowing up, but rather expansive evolutionary, like blowing open. Right. And, you know, the difference between the atom bomb and the atomic reactor, which supplies electricity to so many people, is the container. Mm, mm, we contain mm. it. How do we take that energy and channel it? Mm. Do it with your podcasts and, and you know, honor yourself and what your own talents are and how you're going to do it and being willing to contact me through Zilka. And how do we become part of this? How do you imagine, as you did in your um, meditation, all of these people that you're touching mm. without ever knowing it. Mm. Or as I said to you, when I'm swimming in the ocean, as I push my hand down in the ocean, I'm affecting these ripples going out across the world. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yes. Yeah, we were, this is great. I'm so glad we're landing here. We were talking before the recording and, and I led a little meditation before we started recording, but you evoked this insight as someone who's grown up by the ocean as someone who spends a lot of still to this day swimming in the ocean, you just invoke this insight that the oceans, every it connect, like all of the water on the planet is connected. That every river runs to an ocean and, and, and that from one river to the ocean to the another, like every, anywhere you are in the water on the planet earth, you're touching all of the water on planet earth. And all of that energy in the ocean is helping me pick up my head so I can breathe. And then as the wave passes, put then my head back in the water. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's and so I can amazing. Hundreds of miles away. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the wave that's lifting you in that moment as you swim is, is coming from hundreds of miles away. Wow. Yeah, that's mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing shit right there. And it's like this recognition that uh, we can both be the wave for someone else and also ride the waves of each other. And totally, we are, we are, and we are. Any dichotomy is false. Yeah. Even that dichotomy, but yes. it's amazing. <laughs> That's what we're doing too. Who knows who's going to see this, you know, episode, right? Yeah. Who knows who's going to see me and who's going to see you and how you're going to be. I'm still amazed when I meet a student 20 years later said, you know what you taught me in that class it changed my life or that session. Tell me what I taught. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Teach me what I taught you. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's what you're wow. doing. It's wonderful to see. So it's an mm. honor to be part of this. Mm. I'm really honored that, uh, that the currents moving underneath our lives brought us together in this space today. Me. And um, 
You know, I have a part of me that's like, boy, I wish I wish I had a chance to be a student in Earl's classes. And I hope that uh, I hope that for as long as you feel called to keep teaching, that you keep doing it, Um, because I just really, really I'm feeling the impact personally right now. I know Silka shared that her impact. And it sounds like many, many other students have had the benefit of, of riding the waves that you've created with your teaching and your thinking. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. This has been really fun, Earl. If people want to, that's the thing. It's not just like, it's been fun being with me. I'm having fun being with you. And if I didn't (laughs) have fun being with you, I wouldn't be able to do the same things I can do as when I'm having fun with you. Yeah. Yeah. There's this really, I'm just feeling you stand as this invitation for co-creation for every relationship to be a place where magic can happen. If we, if we let it. It's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wonder, um, well, one, I guess if people want to find out more about you, it sounds like you're teaching at Leslie. It sounds like you're te- teaching at Cambridge College. College now, most of my teaching is at, um, yeah, if people are interested, they could, you can send them my email address if that makes sense. Totally. Um, and in fact, there are a couple of things I can even send them. I did a salon. So yeah. about yeah. years ago, I started doing monthly salons which because of the pandemic has stopped and I haven't figured out how to continue them. But one of them was what the Wizard of Oz has to teach us about counseling. (laughs) Um, Just like an hour long salon that I have because I, they taped it and is a YouTube video. So I can all send people to that hour long video. Let's please. Yeah. We can include that with the show notes too. Yeah. And you can see me that way. Um, Right now in my life, I'm not looking for new clients. I'm not looking for new teaching. So um, I don't want to market myself. And in fact, what I want is more time for flexibility and time with the grandchildren and ways like this to um, inspire and share and play. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you for playing here today. It's been such a gift. Thank you for inviting me. It's great yeah. having people like you in the world. Oh, well, I'm honored. I'm really honored and I uh, can't wait for folks to hear it. And uh, I hope that you and I get, uh, I hope that you start the salon. Specifically, I hope you start the salons again because I will come to one. And okay. if that doesn't happen, then more generally, I hope I get we get to see each other again. It's been a real treat. Wonderful. I'd love that. Okay. Thanks, Cheryl. And thanks everyone for listening in. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others. Consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.